All right. We're here. We're back. And uh, I'm glad to have you with us tonight. Uh, Blink from Blink on Crime is here. And we're going to be talking about all sorts of things. But uh, first of all, welcome her back to the show. How you doing, kiddo? I'm well. How are you, Dina? I'm doing good. Do you have a good Easter? The Easter bunny come visit you or what? <laughs> we did. As a matter of fact, I took a few days off. The kids were all on spring break and did a whole bunch of family things. I was I was glad to have it. How about you? Good for you. Yeah, same old, same old here. The Easter bunny's getting old and gray, but he still hops around a little bit. So. <laughs> Anyway, listen, we got lots to talk about. Of course, uh, Blink is our sister blogger here at Scared Monkeys at BlinkOnCrime.com. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, about everything. We're going to talk about the Powell case, uh, Sandusky, uh, that crazy sheriff, ex-sheriff down in Denver, you know, the uh, meth for sex ex-sheriff. That's a bizarre story. But I want to talk about our mutual friend Pat Brown and her book, only the truth. Of course, Pat's going to be on right after you, so we we have to be nice to Pat, even though she won't <laughs> be nice to us. No, I'm kidding. Pat's a sweetheart, uh, longtime guest. I know she's a friend of yours, and, and you did a review of her book, uh, something a little different for you, on the site. Let's talk about Only the Truth. I did, and, and I was flattered to do it. I mean, I, we all know Pat's uh, work through you know criminal criminal profiling and, and and the professional side of things, but this was her first foray into fiction, a fictional offering, which was a psychological mystery, and I really enjoyed it. She did a great job. A fiction foray. See, say that three times real fast. A fictional foray. Good grief. Anyway, th- th- Pat, uh, probably one of the more popular guests on my program for a number of years now, uh, speaks her mind. Uh, is uh, not a stranger to a little bit of controversy every so often. But this takes it down a little different path. We see a whole new uh, side of Pat Brown. I agree with you, and I I didn't write this specifically because I really wanted to focus on the content. And it's not a a long book, so I was a little concerned about going into different characters and, you know, the whole spoiler alert. Sure. But I, I did note that clearly, you know, her background... And, uh, you know, profiling potential criminals and crimes helped her a great deal, I think, showing the other side of the coin, if you will, Mm -hmm. showing the perspective from somebody that may or may not, again, I'm working under the spoiler alert, (laughs) that may or may not be guilty of a crime and how, you know, our, our collective kaleidoscopes need to really be open to looking at all of the information and not rush to judgment, which is really, it's kind of akin to so many cases that are going on today. How do we get this book? It's a it's a Kindle, and I know Pat was giving me a hard time last time she was on because I didn't know what the hell a Kindle was. I thought that's, some, that's something you light when the lights go out, isn't it? Or I don't know what that is. Oy vey. I, I know. Kindle, I, you don't need, what's, what's great is you don't need a Kindle, which is a handheld kind of a, a reader. It's like a handheld electronic book. Right. That you can um, subscribe to many different applications and or publications. Um, but what's great about this offering is you can download it to your smartphone or your PC, and you don't need a Kindle to do it. So you could just literally download it, what's called a Kindle Reader, and read it just like you would any other book online. Or download it to your smartphone. In fact, I downloaded it to mine, and I did it you know, on my appointment day where you know we do the girl things like hair nails that kind of thing where i can't stand sitting still to begin with (laughs) so at least i have something in my hand and i'm feeling like i'm accomplishing something sure (laughs) so that that's nice for that 
the uh, in this story, we're going to jump around here a little bit, blink from blink on crimes here. Uh, the Joshua Powell, uh, you call it the Joshua Powell backstory. Every time I see those two little boys picture, um, it just makes the what little hair I've got left on the top of my head stand up because it is such a uh, failure of the system. Uh, such and I got to watch my language because we're on public access TV here too. But uh, right. I don't want them bleeping every second word out. This story is is something else. Uh, what what's uh, new with the uh, Joshua Powell backstory? Well, you're you're catching me in between two pieces. You read the the part one, sure, yeah. Where um, and we're working on and and it's delayed a little bit simply because uh, we've we've got access from the courthouse from the Spokane County Courthouse to over 800 documents that we've been going through that, I mean, when you say a failure on the system, there's a couple failures at play here. There was a failure on the system inside the Powell home when Josh was a child and his siblings. I've never, I mean, one of our our contributing editors, Leah Connor, who was also a family attorney, who was a practicing family attorney in Washington, who obviously didn't have any, you know, uh, clients or input into this case, but... When I'm working and I'm I'm asking you know questions about these things, she has never even seen some of you know what went on for years in this case, and that's a bit what we're going to talk about. A couple of things we're going to talk about the unbelievable uh, filings and and um, di- family dynamics that went on in this home, which should not surprise anyone really, as to, as to what Josh Powell turned out to be. And moreover, <laughs> nobody's going to understand how when he was being evaluated prior to the determination from his uh, evaluator that he needed to undergo a psychosexual evaluation, the facts that he gave his interviewer are additionally incorrect and verifiably wrong. Mm-hmm. So before the West Valley Police Department stepped in and said, wait, we want you to see these images, you know, after they got the original report, and then it results in the, the new judge's finding saying we need him to do a psychosexual evaluation, which many believe, Dana, are, are the reason why he, he murdered his children and took his own life. Right. He knew it was over. He knew he was going to have to potentially undertake a lie detector test. He was going to have to go through certain uh, exercises and tests that if he did have pedophilic tendencies, which, you know, 400 images of that were found on his computer. And I just want to say that that was five were actual uh, photographs and the rest were, I'm sorry, five to six, and the rest were some sort of animations depicting uh, graphic warning here, uh, like incestuous right. conduct with children. So under the law, is it grainy that they were all considered, you know, chargeable offenses in possession of child porn? Correct. However, to his credit, his, the gentleman that was uh, doing his evaluation, you know, did kind of a halt. We need to take a closer look at this. I have some concerns. While he did that, because he really didn't have a choice, as I said, 
you're going to see he asks him some questions in his evaluation that are contained in the files that have previously never been released publicly. And I, I have concerns like you shared. Yeah. Why every, I, it seems that every turn these children, Charlie and Brayden, were, were, were absolutely failed. There's no reason that I can see if they had you know, pornographic images from his computer before he even left Utah to go to Washington, why a Child Protective Services inquiry wasn't launched there. Yeah, uh, it's just, and, and we all know what happened and, and, and with the little boys, and I guess for the uh, audience members that aren't up on the case, let's talk about what happened to these little boys. Well, ultimately they were um, Stephen Powell, who, by the way, uh, if you'll note, and we haven't discussed this um, at length, but if you'll note that I had con- some concerns that when he started talking about being romantically linked to Susan Powell, who is the missing wife or of the late Josh Powell, right. when he started talking about that, I had some serious concerns that he might be involved in her disappearance or some sort of you know de facto situation with her. I wouldn't think of another reason why anybody would ever say that. Mm-hmm. In other words, potentially if she was found, there may be some link to him via DNA or something else. Well, it has recently been released that the weekend, December, uh, I want to say 6th through the 9th of 2009, that Susan went missing. I'm sorry, 2008. That Susan went missing, that he actually called off of work. Now, he works largely from home. Right. Um, but he called off of work uh, saying he had an emergency for those three days. So he's unaccounted for. Yeah. And it, it, it coordinates with a few other witness depictions. What ended up happening to Charlie and Braden is as a result of Steve Powell being served a search warrant and pornographic materials and charges found on his computer in his home. This is separate from Josh. Um, What happened was the children were removed from the home and placed in state custody where the Powell, or excuse me, the Coxes, who would be Judy and Chuck, Susan's parents, their mother, uh, were given custody. They were very vocal. The Coxes have always been very vocal that they feared Josh would harm the children. And what we were able to determine is not only were they afraid, but Susan uh, put a, sadly, a a letter in a safety deposit box uh, in 2008 uh, for the reader to know that if she were to die, even if it looked like an accident, that she wanted her death investigated. She had fear that he would harm her. Josh would kill her. And she was right. Ultimately, um, when Josh was told that he had to have a uh, psychosexual evaluation in February of this year and he would not be able to regain custody with the children until he did that, in my opinion, he, he had started the pot for the possibility, the planning for the possibility that that might happen, but he lost it. He, he, was, he was not... He was, he was not going to be found out, if you will, sure. as yep. to the kind of person that he was. Yep. He was going to take those children with him. And when social services 
came to, uh, as because he was, he did have to have supervised visitations, dropped the children off. Uh, they ran ahead of her. He locked the door with them in the home. He struck one of the children with a hatchet yeah. in the neck. He struck another one with in the neck and in the head. However, both children died of carbon monoxide poisoning. So they did not die. But he did, you know, the social services worker said, I heard him say, as I often heard him say, hey, boys, I have a surprise for you. And that's how they met their death. Their father hitting them with a hatchet in their tender years. And they, you know, they bled and died in a house that ended up blowing up. Yeah. Tortured to death uh, by a yes. by a bastard that doesn't even deserve a place in hell, let alone anywhere else. Uh, Blink from Blink on Crime is here. Uh, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, talking about different things. And uh, one of the uh, the stories that you're writing, and you've been busy here lately, is uh, talking about Pat Sullivan. And you, you know me. Uh, I'm pro-police no matter what they do. Uh, you, when you see the Drew Petersons and all the dipsticks uh, that once wore the badge and disgraced the badge out there, uh, I'll go after them just as hard as, as anyone. But this poor old guy, 69 years old, and I'm saying that facetiously, uh, he's one sick puppy. Let's talk about him. I'll tell you. I had to write on that. Are, have you ever seen Breaking Bad? Yes. Okay. It's, it's a favorite show of mine in that it's really kind of shocking. It's like that, what do, you, what do you call it, like a guilty pleasure? Because it's so right. austere and crazy, but it's brilliantly written and brilliantly acted, and you just can't believe it's even happening. And frankly, if it actually did, I would, <laughs> if it was based on a true story, I probably wouldn't watch it. Right. But when I saw that case, I was, I was right there. I couldn't believe it. This, this man was a law enforcement officer with, with an esteemed career, as you saw, named the correctional facility that he is now in yep. after him. Jeez. <laughs> wow. I mean, where does it... It's, it's like you can't make it up. He, he is the luckiest prisoner that I'm aware of to date, because as I understand it, when he was arrested, first of all, he was... He, Several of the charges against him were dropped. There was actually two different episodes, if you were to read the indictment carefully. Right. Which means that um, he had allegedly two proposed encounters that were uh, to be paid for by crystal meth for male sexual favors. And his task force went from 11 to 18 and included a federal investigation. So I'm not positive that this is over. No. Um, I'm guessing it isn't because he did plead because it certainly was not his attitude going into it. And if ever there, I mean, the audacity of a, of a law enforcement officer to break the rules like that and, and then think they're going to come out of it smelling like a rose, it, I had to write about it. It was outrageous. It it just makes your skin crawl to see this dirty old man. And and, and you wonder that, uh, I call it a position of trust that he was in. And and you know what? Even when you hang up your badge, you're still in that position of trust. God, they named a jail after him, for heaven's sakes. And hopefully they take that plaque down pretty quick. Actually, Dana, thank you. They have. Oh, have they? they? Yes, they have. That is very recent in the last few days. Oh. uh, S- Sheriff Grayson, who was, uh, who is 
the sheriff in that territory now. Uh, I don't recall if he's his predecessor, how, or excuse me, successor. Um, but he did, they did vote to change it, and they will, and they have. Good. I don't know that they've renamed it. I just know that they voted to, to rename it. But, and what you're saying is so true. And, and that's one of the reasons why I feel com- com- compelled to write about it. Positions of, of public trust in my opinion, should be treated differently than almost any other type of offender. You bet. The abuse of public trust, whether that's a clergy person, whether that's a civil servant, as a law enforcement officer, or what have you, they are looked upon differently by citizens. And the vulnerability, in my opinion, increases to a citizen when that happens. And I also think the responsibility is different. Yeah. And you're exactly right. This this gentleman absolutely abused his power. He was on the um, you know National Committee for Crime Defense under Bill Clinton. Yeah, he was a tough cop. I, Sheriff I, I, of the year. Absolutely. Before he retired. Yep, he was a tough, no-nonsense cop, but obviously the elevator never went to the top floor with that dude, and, and uh, he's got some serious problems, and, and uh, he'll have to spend some, hopefully, spend some time in the jail that was once named after him. Blink from right. Blink on Crime is here, and we're talking about some of the stories that she's writing about and the cases that she's covering. Check out her uh, blog at uh, blinkoncrime.com. Now, I know you haven't written about it, uh, but you've been writing about it and because the comments are coming, and it wouldn't be Blink. I know. You know where I'm <laughs> where going, going with this. You know where I'm going. Uh, Tra- Trayvon Martin, uh, yeah. Zimmerman, uh, what a story. Uh, the race baiters are out there the Al Sharptons, the MSNBC kooks, uh, all you have to do is if you have any lick of common sense when you follow the story, and of course we're not hearing everything yet, and there'll be more that comes out, I'm sure, but listen carefully to the 911 tape, not the edited one that NBC put out, but the 911 tape, when you hear that dispatcher tell them, don't follow them. Please don't follow right. them. Stop that. That as far as I'm concerned, is the case here. That's the whole case. Uh, Cosby has come out and talked about guns and all that, and, you know, he's partially right. But I would be remiss without asking the Blinkster about Trayvon Martin and Zimmerman. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, first of all, I want to commend Mr. Cosby because I think he's done a good job at trying to diffuse, you know, what I call the political opportunity that presented itself to Reverend Jackson. And is he a reverend still? Um, Al Sharpton? I'm not sure what either one of them are, but yeah, okay, we'll call them that. (laughs) Okay. One of the things that upsets me is, in my personal opinion, first of all, um, Mr. Zimmerman is is Latino. Yes. He's not a Caucasian. Nope. So I'm not sure how profiling another minority works in the scheme of media, but it did, you know, and, and in my opinion, exploited the situation, which was already bad. Mr. Zimmerman, as you pointed out, has a big problem. He, you know, there's a 17-year-old child who is dead, who was unarmed, who he was told to stand down. Yep. He was put in a position that he should not have been in. He was carrying a weapon he should not have been in. To me, this is cut and dry. That said, I don't believe that Trayvon Martin was profiled because he was black. No. So there was no racial issue. Now, one of my posters brought up a critical issue and, and to, to your point, Dana, no, I was not going to write about it, and I'll tell you why. I have learned just through watching, when you have um, 
when, when the political, you know, firestorm bursts out of a case like this, I know that the facts go by the wayside and it becomes a, an emotional issue. And I know that that is something that, you know, promotes cause in the political arena. Let's face it, there, there's nobody better at understanding how the media works. And, you know, let's talk about Red for a second. And him and I have not discussed this case, but I'll be honest with you. One of the first things that I thought of when I started seeing this momentum was the murders, uh, you know, to, to contrast, of Channon Christian and Christopher Newsom. Yep. Are you with me? I'm with you. Okay. I was incensed at the lack of coverage of that case, which was absolutely a racial case. That, that case in particular is so profoundly brutal and violent, the media wouldn't even touch it. And they'll tell you that. But it's still, a, and they should have, not from the, from the Rachel perspective, but because it happened. And you can't have it both ways. Either you're going to cover or you're not. You, you know, so for me, I didn't cover it because it's such a, you know, in all of the things that we do, and, and in our particular niche, I like to think that we, you know, promote advocacy and we make a difference in some of the cases that we're able to profile and cover. For this case, it's so racially charged, I feel like people are not even paying attention. No. I really don't. I feel like they mean well, don't get me wrong. But once you infuse, you know, race, emotion, you know, point fingers, you know, you get political opportunists in there, nobody's really paying attention to the real issues, which are exactly what you said. That man had no business doing what he did. And I will point out that he's being represented by, guess who's lawyer? I don't know. <laughs> Joy Ray. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, there you Mark go. Mark O'Mara was Joy Ray's lawyer. Wow. There you go. Um, and and, and uh, Neighborhood Watch. Um, I've organized Neighborhood Watches. Uh, uh, they have a vital place in in protecting uh lives and property uh but you know florida's kind of kooky when it comes to some of the laws that they have down there and dangerous or yeah sure absolutely but this cat should not have been carrying a gun he should have listened to the, i thought the 911 operator did a good job uh, but let's talk a little bit about nbc and editing that 911 tape oh uh, they're saying it was an accident i say as we like to say up here in uh Canuckland, Horse hockey. No way. They Inappropriate. Did. Yeah, no way. Inappropriate. Yeah. You cannot. I mean, really? They're partially responsible for some of the firestorm that went on here. Absolutely. And when is the media, you know, the mainstream media, by the way, when are they going to be held accountable for, you know, the, this incident and the checkbook journalism problems that they're having? You know, Dr. Phil paying for repeat autopsies, paying the Anthony's. I'll tell you when, when people start to say, listen, you know, I'm calling you out. I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, if you're going to be the, you know, the, the media-based uh, finding or finders of fact, if you will, and putting out information, then you need to be accountable. You know, I, I absolutely. Red's just sent me a quick email. I'm supposed to tell you you're spot on, as usual. So. <laughs> 
So that that that's good. Uh, we've had we've had that in particular, Shannon Christian and Christopher Newsom. That case, there's a few cases yep. that haunt my house yep. that I'll just never. You know, they they drive us. They shape the way that we work in in advocacy and investigation. And that case in particular can keep me up at night like almost no other. Maybe um, the Lunsford case would be close. Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, you know, and I remember interviewing Mark Lunsford um, shortly after. Uh, the case and and he was talking to me about how things change so fast uh one day he's uh with jessica and and teaching her how to ride a bike and and when she falls off the bike the first time how he had to bandage her knee and and then the next thing you know we've got a a a, a monster out there that uh, buries her alive uh for right. uh, in, in florida again it, I mean, not to not to point fingers at at a state but i will say this in sanford in particular where this is happening there has been what I would call an increased number of incidents where there is questionable law enforcement tactic. Yeah. And I'm being as generous as I can be. It happened in the Chris George case. It happened in a, a few cases. That particular, I want to say, the former chief was, was moved out of his position because his kid hepped up on you know booze or drugs or what have you, beat up a black homeless man. And I almost wrote about it, yeah. but I had so many curse words in it (laughs) (laughs) that I thought, you know better than that. You need to not write about things that you're that passionate about that you can't be objective. So there's a little bit of that going on down there, too. There needs to be, in certain areas, and I'm going to say in Seminole County in general, and it might, I will say, it might just be the fact that I've covered a lot of cases that kind of dip into that area. So I have a really good understanding of it. And maybe a cross-section in any state looks like that. But for me, there's just a lot of... I think that they would do well. with You know, when you contrast that with Orange County Sheriff's Office, which is in central Florida, north of them, who I feel, you know, has done an excellent job in the past in cases that I've worked on. When you contrast it with that, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, do we need some oversight here? For sure. Blink from Blink on Crime. Uh, we're down to 30 seconds. Um, uh, one of the guests I'm interviewing tonight after Pat Brown uh, lives in a small community just outside of Chicago. Uh, a very small uh, hamlet, we like to call them up here. Uh, they're finding out and they're fighting now a proposed um, for-profit uh, correctional facility that's being built in their community without any say uh, that will ho- house uh, illegal uh, aliens. Uh, I didn't think that the Obama administration arrested any, but there must be some that uh, are, are, are are going to jail. I'm going to get in trouble for that, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. How uh, how do you how do you sell it to the folks? I like to call them Joe and Mary six pack out there. Uh, that all of a sudden there's a big jail being uh, built in your community across the street that's going to house sex offenders, uh, that's going to house illegal aliens, that's going to house murderers. And expect those people to open arms to say, "Yeah, this is great." And then a for-profit. Um, I, I just can't get my head wrapped around that. Uh, your thoughts quickly. I'm not going to have an answer because I I wouldn't. Oh. I, it w- I wouldn't be sold on that at all. I mean, you're talking about the depreciation of people's personal property. You're talking about you know the fact that. That area is now going to be an increased security risk. You're talking about, 
you know, the fact that that has to be built there. So there's a level of, you know, the reality is there's a level of, you know, illegal workers that do that. Oh. You know, there is <laughs> in, in our government. So oh I'm not gosh. seeing that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying if, if people don't, I think they're smart enough to, to take a look at that. Oh. So my answer is I don't know, Dana. You yeah. you would not be able to sell it to me, so I'm not sure that I would be able to present a case where I could sell it to anybody. Well, I'm going to hopefully help these people get some PR. Uh, Blink from Blink on Crime. Always a pleasure, ma'am. Thank you. You too, my best, dear. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. That's Blink from Blink on Crime. Check out her blog at blinkoncrime.com. We're going to take a break and be back here shortly with uh, 